morning, everybody. I'm Brooke Tuftoy, and for the last nine years, I've worked here at CPC as the director, one of the directors of high school ministry. And just recently, when Corey Gregory left, I took on a new role of um, director of college ministry as well. And as you can see, in October, I'm taking on my biggest role yet as a new mom, which will be fun. Um, it's been a great summer, spending the whole summer in Proverbs. And I know for me that this series has really made me wrestle with scripture. Not because it's confusing, but because it's so incredibly clear. I've sat in the pews feeling convicted about the ways that my faith and my life should be intersecting, and more specifically, how they're not intersecting. But I've also left here feeling motivated and hopeful that I can make changes. As John said when he kicked off this series, wisdom is not information, but it's application. It's taking what we know is true and actually living it. That is wisdom. So this week, we're talking about making wise plans. It's clear we need guidance in our decision-making, but where does it come from? Since we can't just open our Bibles and see where we should go to college, if we should take this job, if it's time to retire, should I keep dating this person? Is this the person I'm supposed to marry? When we're making plans and looking towards our future, what derails us from making wise choices along the way? And what do we do about it? So back when I was in college, I went to CU Boulder. And if any of you have been there, you can understand why I thought I had the perfect life. It's beautiful there. And um, I had great friends. I was plugged into a church. I got to enjoy running and hiking in the mountains. And there's so much to do there. And I had big plans for my future. I was spending my summers here as an intern in high school ministries. And I was planning on working here when I graduated. That was my big dream. From the outside, things seemed ideal. Things were going really well. But on the inside, I was dealing with some hard things. My freshman year, like a lot of people in transition, I had gained a bunch of weight, and I had really been struggling with self-confidence. So I made a decision to start working out more and eat a little differently um, and try to get healthy and strong again. And at first, it was great. I was um, just feeling really good and... I was enjoying the attention I got and the compliments. But slowly, my motivation began to shift from being healthy and strong to how good it felt in the moment to be noticed, to see the scale changing, to be in control. And slowly, my mind became consumed by food and exercise. And if you had asked me during that time what my priorities were, I would have said God and family and friends and being healthy and learning But you wouldn't have seen that reflected in my life. Every choice I made was impacted by this obsession. It it impacted the way I structured my days, uh, created distance in all my relationships as I tried to hide what was going on. And it made school difficult because it was the only thing I could think about. I felt so anxious and alone. What was going on inside of me was beginning to make its way to the outside. I had great plans for my future, But I was getting derailed by the choices I was making day to day. So you may not have had an eating disorder, but we all struggle in different ways at different times in our life. What is it that has you disconnected from God or from the relationships in your life, even from yourself and your hopes for the future? For some of us, it's getting ahead at work. For some of us, it's spending too much time online, on Facebook or Twitter, 
or blogs. It could be a fear of being alone or a failing. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship or an addiction of some kind. Drugs, alcohol, food, porn. Or maybe it's just being busy. Let's look at Proverbs 16, 1 through 3 together and see what the author of Proverbs has to say about our choices and our plans. If you're using the Pew Bibles, it's page 967. But I'm also going to bring it up on the screen because I'd like to read it together out loud. So if you wouldn't mind reading it with me from the screen. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. So notice that in verses 1 and 2, there's a but in the middle of the sentences. And in verse 3, there's an and. The first two verses make observations about our human tendencies and then have the Lord's response to them. But the third verse offers a remedy. So let's focus first on the first two verses. These verses address who we are on the inside and the outside as humans. So verse 1 focuses on our inner self. And last week, Lee talked about the Hebrew word for heart, which is leb, which appears here. This word for heart encompasses not just our desires and emotions, like we might imagine, but it also encompasses our minds and our understanding, our will and our decision-making, our conscience and morality, and our spirits. It's the center of, the per- of a person, like the heart that beats in our chest and keeps us alive, and it affects everything that we do. Verse 2 actually addresses our actions or our habits, and specifically the disconnect we experience between our hearts and our actions. Unfortunately, our culture tells us this lie, that what's going on inside us doesn't affect the things that we do, and the things that we do don't affect who we're becoming. Media encourages us uh, to make decisions based just on our fleeting hungers and our feelings in the moment that don't take into account the potential consequences. For instance, who hasn't been given the advice or received, uh, who hasn't given or received the advice, follow your heart at some point when you're trying to make a decision? It's been drilled into our heads since we saw our first romantic comedies or heard our first love song. And it sounds good, doesn't it? Follow your heart. It even sounds biblical. Who could argue with that? I think God can. So when we're making plans, why shouldn't we follow our hearts? Are our hearts not trustworthy? What's the problem? I think these first two verses make a contrast between the way we see our own hearts and actions and the way that God sees them. Depending on the moment, the words, I'm just following my heart, could mean, I'm just doing what's best for me. I'm doing what I feel like. I'm doing it because I want it. Our hearts, the center of who we are, are shaped by our lives. We humans are made up of a collection of our experiences and our relationships, for better or for worse. I think this quote captures it really well. We are all on a path. Everyone is going somewhere. When we feel stuck, even when we feel trapped, the truth is we're still in motion. Life is a journey, and at the end of it is not just a place, but also a condition. We are becoming the end of our journey, wise or foolish, and every moment takes us closer there. Who we become tomorrow is shaped by what we do today. Because this world is broken and full of sin, our hearts can get really beat up and calloused. 
Think about a callus. Friction is repeated over a period of time, and at first it causes pain, and then it becomes hardened, and eventually the pain dissipates. This can happen with our hearts, and Jesus says this in Matthew 13, 15. These people's hearts have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. This scripture speaks of how the calloused heart affects all the ways that we engage with the world and with God, physically, intellectually, emotionally. This sheds some light on why verse 2 says that a person's ways can seem pure to them. When our hearts have been hurt and are hardened, we're disengaged from God and the world. And we don't have a reference point beyond our own opinions and thoughts. But this is not how we were made to function. Our hearts were made to be engaged with God. A Christian philosopher, Blaise Pascal, says this, What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, though none can help since this infinite abyss can only be filled by God himself. Our problem is is that our hearts wander towards things other than God. That won't satisfy, at least not for long. Jesus even says this, where your treasure is, your heart will also be. Whatever it is that we're filling our hearts with will will guide all the decisions that we make. It could be success, pleasure, popularity, material things, being healthy, beauty, finding love, having children. But these things don't make good leaders of our lives. Actually, once heard a pastor say that the biblical translation of follow your heart would be something like follow your deceitful desires. And who would give that advice? When I was in the midst of an eating disorder, my whole life was committed to it, and every choice that I made prioritized food and exercise. And if I had taken the advice follow your heart during that time, I never would have recovered because my heart had wandered from God. To make wise decisions, we need something besides our hearts to follow. Don't hear me say that our hearts are bad because that just isn't true. We need to look closely at our hearts and our actions and see where they're headed. But we need something more because our hearts are broken and they're calloused. To get to know our hearts better, we can ask ourselves the question, where am I broken? What is my heart following? But we can't ask them in isolation. We need God's help and we need people that we really trust to be in it with us to help us figure it out. Scripture does not tell us to follow our hearts, but instead to follow God with our whole hearts, our whole selves, the center of who we are. Though we can't always trust our hearts, we can always trust God with our hearts. So let's move on to the final verse here because I think it brings us to the remedy. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. What I want this verse to say is different than what it really says. What I want it to say is commit your plans to the Lord and they'll be established. Like, okay, God, here's my plans. I'm going to pray about it. And then you're going to make them happen. That sounds so easy. I love it. Okay, so back in college, I prayed about getting a job here at CPC when I graduated. And I had an interview. And then I didn't get the job. I was like, God, I gave you my plans. Why didn't you establish them? So... Listen to it one more time. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. 
So the word work in verse 3 can also be translated as deeds, actions, labor, undertakings, achievements. What the passage was really saying is that if we want our plans to be established, everything that we think, say, or do along the way needs to be committed to God. Our hearts and our habits, our insides and our outsides. I think it's easy to get wrapped up more in what our plans are than actually how we get there. In college, I had great plans to come work here at CPC, but what was going on inside me was not loving towards myself, and it wasn't loving towards God or the people around me. God had work for me to do, work that involved a lot of prayer and hard conversations with loved ones and professionals, and creating new boundaries for myself. And as I made new choices that put God first, I began to experience healing and wholeness, both in my heart and my body. And God has since used the struggles I went through um, and continue to go through at times to minister to others in ways I could never have planned for. For those of you that know me, you know how passionate I am about helping people worship God, not just with their minds and their hearts, but with their bodies through a ministry called Holy Yoga. And also just helping people eat healthy and whole foods, eating in a different way. And I just think it's amazing because God doesn't waste anything that we go through. We can have worthy plans, but if we're not loving God and our neighbor and ourselves along the way, it is not the way that God would have us do it. Jesus said our most important job, the greatest commandment, is to love. Look at those first two verses again. God sees our motivations and already knows how our plans will unfold, but God wants to show us these things so we can be more like Christ. When we commit our actions to God, we become more aligned with God. And when we're aligned with God, our plans and our motivations point back to God. I started out asking how we can make wise decisions about college, careers, marriage, and family, since there aren't always clear answers in the Bible. This is our answer. Yes, let's make plans and let's work towards them, but let's not lose sight of God in the process. God cares about our insides because what's inside will come out eventually. Our choices form us. But as we begin to live in a different way, we experience God in a different way. And we can be transformed. Being pregnant has actually taught me a lot about this. I think one of the struggles that we all experience in following God is that we can't always feel God. And it's hard to follow something that you can't feel or touch or see. And I think that's why a lot of us don't follow the things that we know that God is asking of us. When I was first pregnant, I didn't show until I was about five months along. So aside from feeling a little sick, I didn't feel pregnant or look pregnant, even though I knew I was pregnant. And it might sound weird, but I did not believe it a lot of the time. It's like, what's going on in there? Is there something happening? When I looked towards the, mon- when I looked towards the months ahead... It was overwhelming for me to realize all the choices and sacrifices I'd have to make to put the baby's needs before mine. And all I could do was just moment by moment do the next right thing. No more morning espresso, no more backbends and yoga, no more sleeping on my stomach, making myself eat vegetables and vitamins even though they grossed me out for a while. I even felt the sacrifice on a physical and emotional level as I began to anticipate and even fear the changes that my body would go through. And I knew I needed to tune in and care for my body in ways that I had never done before. But these little choices I made allowed life to grow in me. For months, I made choices, day by day, based on a truth that I couldn't see. 
I couldn't touch it and I couldn't feel it. I just made them on faith. Can you see how this connects to what the author of Proverbs is saying? Haven't you ever felt like you know about God, but you don't know God? That because you can't see or feel or touch God, that it's impossible to follow? That you know God's word is true, but have trouble believing it or choosing to follow it sometimes? Committing to put God first when we're making our choices, it involves sacrifice, but it grows life in us. It doesn't make our lives easier. It doesn't make our lives more comfortable, but it will make them full and whole. My husband and I might have planned to have a baby, but there's something happening inside me that I have nothing to do with. I just opened myself up to it and did what I could do, and God has done something incredible, miraculous. As we give over more and more of our lives to God, we are capable of doing so much more than we can do on our own. And now it's obvious that I'm pregnant. This life has grown enough in me that I can feel it and I can see it, and it responds when I push on it. And I'm calling it it because I don't know if it's a boy or girl, so I know that's weird. <laughs> but other, other people are in on the news, and they encourage me and give me advice, and I'm not alone in it. It's so much easier to put the baby first now because it's not just a knowledge thing, but it's a body thing, it's a heart thing, and it's a soul thing. It is hard to choose to follow God with our lives when we don't feel like it, when God's desires for us are different than our own desires, when it goes against what culture and the world is saying. There's not immediate gratification. It involves sacrifice. There's no way around it. But when we examine Jesus' life, we see that sacrifice brings about life. God is gracious and is with us and is in us. And my coworkers all roll their eyes when I say this, but we are all pregnant with God. We are, all of you. We can put God first choice by choice, moment by moment. And I want to read you guys um, one of my favorite verses that I think just really describes all that I've been talking about. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and just receive it. It's from Romans 12, 1 through 2. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Can open your eyes. God shows us how to follow him when we read scripture and actually do what it says. When we spend time listening for God and praying. When we spend time with people who can call us out. We can't do it alone. We need God and we need others. Day by day, God will show us new ways to bring our thoughts and our words and our actions more into line with what he desires for our lives. Richard Rohr says this, God comes to us disguised as our life. Why didn't someone tell me this earlier? That this life is the raw material I need to take seriously. Every day, what's right in front of me is the agenda. And it's always messy, always muddy, always mundane, 
always ordinary and all around me. Committing to God choice by choice might change our plans, and it most definitely will transform our hearts. It's not easy, but it's good, because God cares about who we're becoming and has a better plan for us than we could ever dream up. So I want to leave you guys today with a tool, a way to take small portions of Scripture and let them change the way that you live. I think that we can look at Scripture like a recipe or like a meal. A recipe is instructions that can collect dust on a shelf when we don't use them. But a meal is a communal experience that engages every part of us. I've experienced Proverbs this summer more like a meal. That allows me to savor the words along with my community, hearing stories and laughing as we eat it, feeling nourished and cared for, even when it's not the easiest to digest. I've left feeling full and energized to make changes. Eugene Peterson says, eating a book takes it all in, assimilating it into the very tissues of our lives. Ask any child and they'll tell you, you are what you eat. We all intuitively know that, but sometimes we don't live like it's true. But just as our physical body is made up of the food we consume, we, as humans, our hearts are made up by what surrounds us in our environments, the people in our lives, the things we do, and the things that we let in. So let's learn to eat scripture. There's an ancient Benedictine practice called Lectio Divina, and many of you have probably heard of it before, but it's really helped me sit with scripture and eat scripture. And on your way out, you'll all get a little card that has the instructions on how to do this. Um, But let me walk you through it. It's really easy. So when we eat a meal, what do we do? We take a bite, we chew, we swallow, and we digest. And we do it over and over again. And so to take a bite of scripture, you just hear or listen to a portion of scripture. So like the little chunk that we talked about today. Then we chew it, which is meditating on it, ruminating, repeating it or pondering it, maybe even memorizing it. And then we swallow it. That would be the time that we pray to internalize what the scripture says and ask God to show us something in our own lives. And then finally we digest it. That's when we contemplate this word. We live it out so it becomes part of us, so it becomes a habit. We take the scripture with us into our days. And we cycle through this over and over again, like we do in a meal. And that's how we're nourished by it. So learning to eat scripture means living in such a way that we don't just read for knowledge or to say that we read it, but we rely on it to be nourished and sustained and changed inside and out. And that, my friends, is wisdom. So what do we know? We know that God does not call us to make decisions based solely on the desires of our hearts. And what do we do with that? I think we commit our whole self to God and make choices that reflect that commitment moment by moment. So I'd like to challenge this community to spend time with scripture this week, with this passage, and use these four little steps to examine your heart and your plans and the choices you're making in that time with God. So let's not just be people that follow our hearts, but people that follow God with our whole lives. Would you pray with me? Graceful God, thank you. Whether our hearts are wrapped up around you or they've wandered far away, you see us and you know us inside and out and you still love us. 
Holy Spirit, help us to receive whatever it is you have for us today. Show us how we can choose to be more like Christ today in our words, in our thoughts, in our actions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.